welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. And welcome to episode 81. Hey Rich, how's your week been? It's good, good. We This is a, a shorter week in the US. We get a... Uh... We had a, uh, a holiday on Monday, and so it's always nice to have a little shorter week. What'd you do on your uh, your day off? Well, this is a newly introduced public holiday for Microsoft too in court, I believe. I don't know if the field have always got this, but um, it was uh, unsurprised to me. I, I think there must have been an email that came out announcing this in December, and I just ignored it or didn't get to it. And uh, they reminded us two weeks ago, so I didn't have anything planned. We didn't get smart and go away anywhere glamorous but um lots of odd jobs around the house the joys of being a homeowner as i know you know too well yes yes especially my house is like old so it's always running into issues but um i did get to get out on the ice again last night and um scored another goal which was good nice but i did get two uh hooking penalties as well which was not as good it is that time of the year where you're going to start fitting in hockey discussions into the podcast so right i apologize for the audience that's not into that, like me. We, we can talk about cricket if you like. I'm sure you're really into cricket. No, no. Let's go back to hockey. I think I'd rather. <laughs> and we won't talk about the Seahawks, that's for sure. Oh, you know, it was a good season, but can't win them all. Yeah. Well, so just for those people on the show, maybe that aren't into football, but the Seahawks were down nearly 31 points, which is the equivalent of three touchdowns and kick goal kicks and so forth. And... Um, It'd be like being down 5-0 in the soccer and thinking you'd be able to come back from it in a game. But typical Seahawks fans, you know, for the rest of the game were, we'll do it, we'll do it. And they didn't come too far. They they managed to get a few back. But, um, yeah, they're out. So there's four teams left in, for the big Super Bowl game in a few weeks. But, uh, yeah, it was funny. I'm kind of glad that no one was in the office on Monday because Redmond is a very big Seahawks-supporting town and Fridays they all wear their jerseys and so they won't be wearing them this Friday and I'm sure everyone will be miserable over the weekend after watching that game for sure. Yeah, like I said, can't win them all, so. Yeah, that's right. They, um, they're definitely, the, I reckon people will be dropping off the bandwagon now that there's been two seasons where we've not won the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, I mean, the Carolina who the Seahawks played was basically undefeated. They lost one game and it was at the end of the season when they were benching players. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you guys played the best team. So They were uh, pretty amazing to watch, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> they totally scored us. But um, yeah, so that was part of my weekend was watching the football and um, yeah, hockey on Monday and actually been shopping around for a truck. I'm going all American. It sounds like you need to move to Texas if you're going to get a truck. I know. Well, that that only before I wanted the gun rack. <laughs> I'm not quite ready for a gun rack. Nice. But um, yeah, so it's been a bit, bit fun, a bit, bit of all American weekend. And um, there's been a lot going this week. I, some weeks we get quiet and there's not so much to talk about. But this week, after much talking, and I tried to like look at when we first mentioned the changelog, but we can't really do audio search very easily with our podcast. But we've been talking about a changelog for a long time. And graph.microsoft.io slash changelog now has the first revision of what the engineering teams will track as things that uh, come on to both the beta endpoint and the V1 endpoint on a, on a monthly basis. Um, so right now there's the January 2016 that talks about things like additions, like mobile phone property to personal contacts entities, um, and talking about fixes on the directory objects, 
where there was um, a return type from the operation is not possible with a given entity set errors and um, some things in December on the V1 around the dollar filter expression that specified the same property more than once, which were failing with the error uh, 500, an item with that same key has already been added. So there's a bunch of stuff that they've done based on the feedback from user voice and, and GitHub. And this page, um, as much as it's, it's kind of owned by engineering now, which is a really good start, it is kind of a little bit static on the HTML side. And I know I've seen some mock-ups and things are a little bit more dynamic or make it easier to search. And you'll be able to do things with kind of different ways of subscribing to this. So you don't have to keep coming back to this page in the future, which is some of the feedback that we had from MVPs that saw this at the summit. So this is just the first edition of the change log, but it just shows you that direction that we're going in with. We're going to do it first on the Microsoft graph, and then we'll come back and do it on Office JS, and then we'll go and do it on things that aren't on the Microsoft graph as well at the moment as well for other APIs that people consume that listen to the show. Yeah, it's just good, you know, good software development, especially in a when we talk about an evergreen service that's constantly changing. And the graph is always, we're always adding new things to it to be able to have a, a nice view of everything that's changing with with updates. I mean, this is similar. It reminds me a lot of what, uh, you know, VESA and the PNP team is doing around the CSOM updates. Every time a new CSOM library comes out that has updates, they do a really good job of documenting what's new and different in there. I mean, it's, so it's really good to have a one-stop shop to see what's changing in that graph because it is something that we hope to have, you know, pretty pervasive usage of across the world. Yeah, and then in addition to that, some good news. There's been, as usual with Microsoft, some restructuring. And um, Gareth Jones, who you would have known because we've had him on the show and he's spoken in a lot of events like Build and Ignite from the OneNote developer extensibility story, has moved over into the Office All Up extensibility story, kind of focused on platform plumbing and as well as the focus on Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. And he's actually going to be looking after the Microsoft Graph with you know, arenas who you would have seen as well on Connect and so forth in leading the charge of the graph with people like Rob Howard. And um, Gareth just put out a blog post on dev.office.com slash blogs around the webhooks on the Microsoft graph and what's available inside of like the mail read, calendar read, contacts read, and kind of some of the notifications you get off that with the RESTful interfaces. So think about these for the SharePoint people in the room as kind of event receivers, but in a RESTful orientated world that is a lot more kind of open standards than we have done in the past. I haven't actually had a chance to play with these webhooks. Have you done anything with them at all? Yeah, I've played around a little bit. So um, if all the listeners probably haven't seen this, but if the MVPs have, is at the MVP Summit, um, Yina actually demonstrated like a little sample tester app to show webhooks. And what I found really interesting is the room was actually pretty blown away at how fast they are. I mean, it was almost immediate when um, I send an email or something like that, and you were hooked into that, that you'd get that notification. And, and so I've played around a little bit just doing kind of Hello World samples like that, and certainly worked with a lot of partners that are starting to leverage these in pretty extensive line of business scenarios. So it's cool to see you know some good documentation around it here. Yeah, and I noticed our fearless ex-leader, CJ, posted a comment on that blog post giving the feedback that actually I know we've heard a few times now which is that the HTTPS can catch people off because you don't get an intuitive error when you call it with HTTP 
and I know Gareth jumped on there and responded to that already in saying that it's kind of a balance between security requirements and developer ease in that sense as well. But it's something that they were he was playing with is this meetfinch.com, which is um, a way of using uh, almost like a plunker, I guess, to be able to test these webhooks in a in a kind of a standalone way without having to build up your own web application to test them. Yep. A little bit like Plunker and so forth. You can test APIs. It's like a neat way of playing around with webhooks, which is cool. What else have you seen out there other than those two things? One of our, you know, good MVPs, Sahil, who's, uh, you know, done very vocal usually around what we're doing around... Sahil, vocal? Yeah. You don't think so? No. <laughs> no he's never opinionated. Well, he's done a he's done a, a lot of really great things around what we're doing around the Office 365 APIs. He's one of those guys that, to me, is is really quick out of the gate in, you know, if there's some sort of new technology, whether it's Angular 2, or I know he's done some cool things around Cordova and Ionic. But one of the things that he put together for was an Office 365 and Azure AD for developers. So it's a it's a course that you can go take that provides a really deep uh, understanding of the kind of dependencies and how a developer might work with those two technologies together. Um, and so you you'll get pieces of it in different areas if you go to things like. The Microsoft Virtual Academy or dev.office.com. We have lots of video content that might provide little glimpses into this. And this is a really good extensive, it's, it's seven and a half hours of content on um, how you might work with those technologies as a developer. Yeah, I've actually, I, there are some codes that um, he gave me and I started to look at it and it's interesting. Like it's a, it's kind of nice to have a different perspective on how he thinks about the Microsoft graph and the underlying technology rather than kind of seeing it from our perspective of things. And it gives you, you know, just different way of learning the same thing. And I think there's a definite value in doing that. And it's, it's, cheap course as well um i will say we sahil hasn't paid us to say any of this stuff this is just something that we've seen him tweet and um, i said we give it a shout on the show because you know we, we do kind of promote other courses as well and um you know from what i looked at it was a strong way of learning this and it goes into a lot more detail than um, our our training does today as well so it's um if you are looking at the stuff and you don't want to do a combination of watching our training videos and and kind of doing as much hands-on it's definitely a great way of keeping in touch with that and, and getting a deep understanding of it by checking out what he's presenting as well yeah and, and he knows his stuff really well in this space so i think it's a it, I, I would be very interested in in being able to check it out myself and then there was another one which is Near and dear to your heart, which is um, uh, Ricardo, uh, who is in our, what we call our content publishing or Max team here. And also there's another contributor I know because I've seen it in the pages, was putting together a Office add-in application of Office 365 API. It was Brian Melton, who's the other guy in the team, that, and they've both been helping. You've done something similar with another. Right. So I've, I've worked with these guys, and uh, this is something I've blogged a couple of times about, but it's the idea of from an add-in, I want to be able to call into APIs that need an identity. Need to be You need to be authenticated. The, the problem arises that a few things. One is, in order to inside that add-in frame, if I want to go through a sign-in process, a lot of times to prevent quick jacking and different malicious activities from occurring, a lot of times a login page will get um, blocked from being framed. And although when I use an add-in in the Office client, it's not 
technically an iframe. It's more of just a browser control. When I move that into Office Online, it does become an iframe and therefore it, it ceases to work. The other scenario is if, if the organization uses like a federated sign-in, add-ins, any page that gets loaded in the add-in frame has to be declared as a safe domain or a known domain. Well, in an, in like an ADFS scenario or some sort of federated sign-in scenario, there's no way for you to know what the user sign-in page actually is because it's federated. And therefore, it ends up popping it out into a pop-up. And so what this sample does is shows how you can deal with that pop-up. It's unavoidable in a lot of cases, and we're working hard to make that experience better. But what this shows is how you can, through a, a Node.js application, how you can pass a token back to the add-in through the server. It actually uses a WebSocket to pass it through the server. So um, another kind of challenge you end up with is how you do pop-up communication with things like IE security zone. So ultimately, this is a fail-safe way of being able to get tokens back to your add-in. Uh, so it's a really good sample. Uh, I worked with these guys. I've, I've run this sample. I've looked at the documentation. Uh, this is really solid and it's, it's perfect for people that are wanting to build an add-in that might connect to the Microsoft graph, but really that connects to anything that's authenticated. It could be Facebook or Twitter or Flickr or who knows what, but anything that needs to be authenticated, this is a really good sample uh, that covers some of those challenges. And then Waldeck has also blogged up a storm last Friday regarding Office 365 web applications and add-ins. You jogged my memory that you'd actually done a session on this at Build, right? It was one of the, yeah, at Build last year, Doreen Brown and I did a session on uh, kind of unique scenarios to use Azure for the Office 365 developer. The idea was, is you go to most Office or Office 365 developers, they're probably somewhat familiar with things like Azure websites, maybe maybe SQL Azure. I know that through the great work of VESA and the PNP team, things like web jobs and queues are starting to get more popular. But there's all these other great platform as a service components and API apps to me are an awesome one and being able to put together different APIs to do kind of a, a kind of a, in a way a linear workflow um, is really powerful. So that was one of the things that me and Doreen did was use an API app to actually go out and put some data into Power BI that was from a SharePoint list. And and so, uh, you know, it's cool to see some additional people kind of playing around with that and showing the power that you can do with some of these, what I would consider non-traditional platform services of Azure. Have you done anything with the Entity Framework 6 at all, Rich? I've become a really, really big fan of NoSQL solutions. So using things like MongoDB or DocumentDB in Azure. And I, I would say actually 100% of the, the apps that I've built in the last six to nine months have been using a NoSQL solution. But um, certainly when, I, when I'm doing things with SQL Azure or SQL Server, 
I don't ever write my own SQL anymore. I would always use Entity Framework for sure. Well, um, yeah, so that was just a bit of a heads up from that technology space because I know there's a lot of .NET people in there doing. So that was the updates for this week. We've got a really nice interview we'll lead into now with NG Office UI Fabric Open Community. We, um, we've got a list of schedules that we do of who we've got coming up. And as the March, we'll get podcasts rolling on all the new things that we announce. Rich, any, anything to add on that? Uh, no, I, I think that's... Good. We'll see you all next week. Okay, so I'm on Skype with Andrew Connor and Wardek Mastercars. Good morning, good evening, guys. Hey, Jeremy, how's it going? How you doing? I appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedules to jump on a call. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. AC, it looks like you had a bit of a fun trip this weekend. You were away in uh, sunny Chicago. It was sunny, but it was colder than it was. I, I you, I'm, I'm from Florida, so where it is, I mean, even today is 44 Fahrenheit, which I don't know what that is in you know in real math degrees. But yeah, so 44 Fahrenheit, and I think that while we were there, the majority of the time in Chicago, it was one Fahrenheit, which is what, like negative nine degrees Celsius with a, a feels like, or like the wind chill feels like was negative 16 Fahrenheit, which is negative 28 Celsius. So I'm, my fingers are still kind of thawing out. <laughs> it's a hell of a lot of fun. It was a great experience, but yeah, I don't understand how people live in those in climates. So it's winter. That's something that people don't understand. It's like it's winter here, and then I speak to my family in Australia, and it's summer there. So sometimes people just don't kind of understand the 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 shifts in the weather. <laughs> but how cold is it there in um, Amsterdam? Or Currently, that's plus two. So in your measurements, that would be thirty five. Uh, yeah, it's about, it's near freezing here, but it kind of jumps up and down. So yeah. we get a little bit of ice, but it's not cold enough here to have snow. But it, we can drive to the mountains um, and, and find snow if we really want it. Yeah, and then take hikes that you didn't really plan for, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the near-death experiences of yeah. weeks ago where I nearly had to eat my fiance before we got married. <laughs> yeah, the only version of snow or, or uh, white powder that we have here in Florida comes up through Miami and Columbia, but uh, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I've just actually, if, if people want a good TV show to binge, if, if Narcos is available, that is an amazing show. I want to see that. With Pablo Escobar. I mean, that guy was just evil as sin mm. and it's just amazing that i mean you watch that and you go that was true Are you, even if even if it's stretched a little bit it's just frightening how much went on in that show it's um, it's fascinating mm. and i just finished making a murderer as well oh that's one i want to binge which is another amazing show and for some reason and i won't give away anything but i totally remember their faces on tv in australia when this actually all happened but i couldn't remember what the outcome was so there was a lot of suspense as we were watching it on whether he was guilty or not guilty so it was pretty funny that's cool but again very very sad mm. but um yeah there you go two shows that you can blame me for binge watching in your future <laughs> for everyone in the audience <laughs> and, and Mordek, uh, what have you been working on recently i haven't spoken to you in a bit yeah so recently i basically um spent probably all of my time working on the NG Office UI fabric. There you go. Yeah, from a community side. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. Yeah. It's been, it's been really good to see what, what we've known as the SharePoint community externally start to reverse out of SharePoint and, and, and more into this the web space, but do, do the same kind of community muscle that they've always been doing. I, I think this is probably one of the best examples of it. I know Andrew, when we started talking about Office UI Fabric internally with MVPs, you did a significant amount of work 
uh, on putting together a pilot site. Do you want to explain what you did there and what the result was of that? Because I think that's really interesting for people to understand kind of that that motion as well. Yeah, so I guess when when I first saw that this was coming, I get way back a few months ago, well before you guys even shipped the Office UI Fabric, I was trying to push to get a, some sort of a design language from Microsoft or from the Office Dev group um, that we could build things that looked like what you guys had. And just to make it easier, I mean, we could all do it, but it just makes it makes more sense. you got a web property, so why can't you just ship your CSS? And um, so once you did that, uh, we I went through and, and used it over the course of a weekend to just build a little, I was working on a little pet project to manage a fantasy football league and uh, threw it together really quick and was really amazed at how a lot of the controls, how easy it was to use a lot of the controls and to implement them with just CSS. Um, some of them required a little bit of JavaScript, but built a self-standing uh, office web app, or I should say, I've built a self-standing web app that talked to uh, save data inside of a, a little JSON site, no JSON database, I guess NoSQL database, and then also did some reading and writing back to Office 365 using the REST APIs, but then also created one that lived inside of an Excel add-in and it was really neat to just kind of see how the applications really just, they feel so native to the hosting client, the hosting experience that you're in. So your users feel like they've got a really you know seamless experience. So that was my first real experience with it. I've done a couple of little things since then um, with the UI fabric, but you know I guess it was, um, it's very useful and it's really cool to see the uptick you guys have had with just the base CSS classes that you've shipped. Yeah, it's interesting. The Sometimes the perception of it is, is that it has to be something that's done inside an office add-in. I think people think that it's some kind of skinning enabler just for those. But um, I think some of the most common things we've seen is people using them in standalone websites. You know, you don't, you don't have to go and talk to Office 365 APIs if you don't want to. You can continue just being totally standalone. And there's enough kind of benefit there in the look and feel and professionalism of an app using these style guidelines. And it really does, it makes a huge difference, especially for someone like me that, you know, I don't, I have that creative eye. I could sketch on a whiteboard and take a photo of it and send it to a designer and they could break it up for me in HTML and CSS and JavaScript. But I don't really have that much time to go away and kind of do that design tidiness myself so fabric does a lot of that for you for sure yeah and i think that i mean it's one of the things i like about this is as coming from a developer point of view i like the fact that i don't have to spend so much time trying to figure out you know how things are going to line up and how how things are going to look and stuff and i mean there's there's people that have gone to school that are more design aspect design oriented that that know how things should look because there's real business science around it and real you know usability science around it so you know in the past we've always had just two different primary languages that we could use, either the most common one I think is Bootstrap that everybody's familiar with. And then another one that's out there is uh, Material, which is Google's design language. That's kind of akin to Microsoft's Metro or modern design language. And so it's nice that, that now we have like this implementation of Microsoft's design language, at least from the eye of the office um, division, that we can use, have a third set of, of visual design uh, elements that we could take advantage of. And it, it, as a developer, I like it because I don't have to think so much about what the UI is going to look like. I have to think about how things are going to be laid out. But as a developer, one of the things that I hate to do is to train my users. And if they're familiar with something else, then I like to say, let's just make the app look like and behave like another app that they're familiar with. And we, we've all seen tons of apps spin up that look like Outlook or that look like you know these different sites that we're used to seeing yeah. because it's familiar. I mean, look at Yammer. Yammer looks like Facebook, yeah. right? So 
I wish it was as good as Facebook, but I won't go there. <laughs> I didn't, I'm not going to say it. It's true, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Wardek, in terms of the usage of the fabric, what kind of learning curve is there if you have a site you're building? Like, what, what things do you actually need to pull into the project? So, um, if you would just like to use it the way it is, basically, it comes down to CSS and JavaScript, which uh, isn't actually part of it. Right, so you only get CSS, and if you've got at least some experience with, uh, for example, Bootstrap, that's easy because that's actually the same way it goes. Right, it um, there is a grid, there are icons, there are some other stuff there uh, on pieces, so you can apply all of that really easily to your app. The challenging part gets that when, uh, whenever you try to get them to work, so you don't only want to have a list, drop down, or table just to be a table in your app, but you actually want to be able to interact with it, right? So that challenging part, because that isn't there. And when you try to apply all of that in Angular app, so up until now, you had to do all of that by yourself. Yeah, that was a surprising thing when I first saw the fabric, was that it is very much... I guess the presentation layer, when you think of an application, the, the the business logic and data aren't provided. It's not like you can just put in two settings and go, you know, the calendar for Jeremy Thake show up on this widget. Like you've got to go and do all that logic behind to go and fetch Jeremy Thake's calendar. And then you've got to do all the business logic behind the scenes to then bind that data to the, the, the calendar control, for instance, as an example there. You know, one of the things that I think that the, the Fabric guys did a, a, a good job, job of, but I think that it was the, the message was somewhat misunderstood, was that when they came out with it, it really was just all a bunch of CSS. And for a lot of us that were even involved in the preview, there were some controls that had some interactivity to them. For example, like the drop-down list or like the persona cards and how some of those things when they when you or the toggle switch, a lot of that stuff is not just CSS. It also ha- requires some sort of JavaScript to show some sort of functionality with it. And the way that the 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 um, Office UI team, Office UI Fabric team, did it is they used took a dependency on jQuery and then they created these jQuery plugins for each one of the different components. But the the thing that confused people, confused me for a while, is that the JavaScript is not part of the Office UI Fabric. That's like sample JavaScript on how you could use it. I guess that my only gripe with that is that when it came from them, it seemed like it wasn't, it seemed like they were kind of tightly coupled together. Yeah. But I mean, you can tell they're not because even the JavaScript isn't even in the CDN the, that when you ship the fabric, it's only just the CSS. Yeah. I think now the, the JavaScript might be in there, but at any rate, you know, it was just, it's like, it's the equivalent of, when people get confused by this, think about it like this. It's the equivalent of saying, go build a website, here's the design you're going to use, and I'm just giving you HTML and CSS, but if you want to do some sort of functionality with it, it's almost like, all right, now I'm going to tell you to do it in ASP.NET, and I'm going to give you a grid view control that you can bind to and do sorting and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the part that they really only give you in Fabric, if you think about it, it's really just the CSS with some sample JavaScript that's there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's a good way of explaining it. Yeah, yeah it definitely threw me through it, and I know there's a lot of people that find the same problem with that as they're going through the learning process of it as well. And so I did notice on um, Twitter this week, Stefan Bauer actually did a pull request for Fabric, which the Fabric team approved within about an hour, I think, if you check their site, 
for the bower bower support. Yeah. So for those of you know, I've I've seen a lot of Twitter about you know what the hell's bower, what's npm, what's gold, what's grunt, and I know Andrew, you, you've been doing a lot of it recently. But what what would be your like 101 on this stuff of you know what what is bower and what how is it relate related to web development and and why is that beneficial? What Stefan's done. Sure. So I, I guess the I think the best way to understand all this stuff is just look at it as an analogy and kind of like compare it to something we already know. So you know, I'm guessing the, the majority of your audience is primarily in the Microsoft background. So everyone that's a developer in the Microsoft background, you're probably familiar with something called NuGet, and that's Microsoft's package management tool. We use that to, so we don't have to go have copies of all these different libraries and downloading them and installing them into our projects. We instead say, we take a dependency on that other library over there. And then it's pulled into your project at uh, build time or ahead of time or whatever. There are other package managers that are out there as well. One is Bower, which is primarily the client-side. It's primarily for, for client-side libraries, but it really is. You can think of it as almost the exact same thing as as, as NuGet. It's just it's a separate. It's just a, a, another option. There's a third option though that is that is very popular called NPM, and that's all about you know the node package manager. What the, the NPM though is for both server side, which primarily Node.js. Or uh, client side uh, libraries and packages. Which one should you use? Well, you know, there's libraries that are published in all of them, and as we'll talk a little bit more in, uh, we can talk about with in terms like the differences between on how we, we everybody ships with their packages with both npm and Bower and and uh, uh, NuGet. Um, but I think that what we're starting to see now is that really Bower is kind of going a little bit more of a second-rate one, and we're seeing uh, NPM as being the primary distribution vehicle that people want to use. Like, I'm not, If I'm not mistaken, I think that even the Angular guys have said with Angular 2 that they're, the way that they're distributing stuff is with NPM. So we'll get into, I mean, we talk a little more about the, the library that, you know, the topic of the, the show here today, but I mean, the one that I would recommend to people for all of their stuff, I would say is use NPM. We support all three of them, but I would use NPM for my libraries instead. It's got over 200,000 modules that are in it. Bower's only got a quarter of those. So I would I would go with NPM a little bit more. Yeah, from my perspective, the NPM one, I don't know if Bower does this, but the, the traceability and analytics that we get behind the kind of the generator dash office for the Yeoman generator for office add-ins is, is really neat. I like the ability to kind of see that amount of telemetry. Now you both have a drink. <laughs> you can drink your coffee, your AC, and Wardek, it's way late enough there for you to start drinking scotch. <laughs> but no, it really helps me to go and show the value of that generator to the engineering teams and show the usage of that stuff. So I don't know if Bauer kind of goes to that level, but NPM seems a little bit more sophisticated than mature in that sense, for sure. Well, I mean, NPM is also backed by a real company, too. Bauer is not, right? So it's I think that's one big difference, too, where NPM has got a huge infrastructure and it's tightly coupled with, with Node. I mean, but it works. It works. You can use it for anything, right? You can use NPM for, for the .NET project. You can use it with a... Uh, with a node project, but uh, you know, regardless, you can get you can get the uh, Office UI fabric from NuGet, from NPM, and from uh, Bower. And I, what yeah. Steph, what Stefan saw was there was a little issue in one of the things that they had in their Bower um, JSON file that's like their package descriptor, and uh, he went fixed it. He reached out to me about it. I told him I was like, "You need to go. That's a that's something you want to go over there and deal with them about." And sure enough, he fixed it right away that they approved his pull request. So yeah, he's been really he's noticed a lot of those kind of inconsistencies there. So that's good. And then I mean, that's the one thing I'd say from people listening is is that if you aren't familiar with those things, based on some of the things I'm hearing inside the walls of Microsoft, you're going to want to get up to speed on uh, npm 
um, at the very least, and obviously the JavaScript client-side side of things as well, like we've been pushing in the past. But NPM is something that um, some of our bigger IDEs uh, are looking into right now, and there's already some integration, but it looks like they're going to go even further as well. So hmm. um, certainly have a look at that, and you can see that with some of the other people that are more public-facing talking about these things. That's kind of where we we are going, and so being familiar with that as a if you're a vendor or if you're an enterprise dev or an independent consultant, like those technologies can be things that you're going to have to be familiar with that maybe in the past you wouldn't have needed to be because the Visual Studio just went the way of NuGet and .asp.net. So definitely worth taking that into consideration for sure. Yep, yep. And and so kind of this leads nicely into now, you've produced uh, as a team, kind of a, a, a community team, both Andrew kind of leading, leading the effort here, uh, a new set of frameworks on top of what we've discussed about already. So Andrew, do you want to just introduce what NG Office UI framework is, and then we can talk a bit more about it? Yeah, sure. So what the NG Office UI fabric is, is basically just taking the Office UI fabric and creating Angular directives for it. So um, for people who are are working with Angular or building applications, web apps with Angular, either for um, SharePoint or for Office client add-ins or for just a standalone web app, um, if you want to be able to use the Office UI fabric, you can. You can use just this classic CSS and the jQuery JavaScript that they provide. Um, you can do that. It's no problem at all. Um, but one of the things that's kind of nice is to be able to make things a little bit easier uh, in the Angular space and having to require you to not requiring you to write so much code. So like, for example, if you want to do something like, say, the dropdown, or if you want to build like a table, or if you want to um, work with like, just say, let's just take a really simple one. If you want to do an icon, you have to know that the way the icon works, the Office UI fabric is to create an I tag and then have a CSS class where you pass in the class um, for a icon, it's um, ms-icon, and then you have to also pass in the class for the specific icon you want to use. So it's ms-icon space ms-icon dash dash alert, and that's going to give you an alert icon. Um, instead, what we've done is we've created a directive where you can now have a HTML element that's just UIF, that stands for the UI fabric, so UIF-icon, and then UI and the attribute on that would be UIF dash type, and you say something like alert or plus. What we do in the directive is that we can go render out all of the um, HTML that's required and CSS that's required for Fabric to build that out inside of your application. So it works the same way. There's other libraries out here that do this for different design languages. Um, Bootstrap's got one. It's called the UI Fabric is Angular Bootstrap, essentially. Um, the material design language, the, the Google has, has a team called uh, that works on something called Angular Material, which shipped, I guess, about a month, in the last month, it shipped a V1 that is now feature complete uh, for having directives for all these different elements in, um, uh, and that are defined in material. Uh, to be used in Angular. And so what we're doing now is we're trying to create, or what, not trying, we're actually doing it. We are creating a library called the NG Office UI Fabric that is going to be feature complete, have full parity, so that every component that you see inside of the Office UI Fabric, you will see a uh, equivalent um, directive inside of our library. And so to use it, it's a piece of cake. All you end up doing, you can get it from NuGet, Bower, or NPM, um, first of all, you can get more information and see live demos to this if you go to the uh, ngofficeuifabric.com. Um, but you can go uh, then install it into your into your project using npm, Bower, or NuGet. 
you add references to the two CSS files that are coming from the Office UI fabric. We don't want to repackage their stuff. We want you to, to make sure you pull theirs from wherever you want to pull it. If you want to host it local or use Microsoft CDN, whatever you want to do. And then you create a single reference to the ng Office UI fabric um, JavaScript file, either the minified version or the non-minified one. Um, and so what that's going to allow us to do then is that now you've can, you can grab all the directives that we have. We released our first, we did our first release last week. I guess, I think it was on January the 13th, or I, I believe. We had bad luck on that one, but <laughs> actually it wasn't bad luck. It still worked. It was just a bad number. But we released another uh, drop today, version uh, 0.2, which now has, um, I believe we have 12 directives in there right now. Um, we've got another 17 that are are kind of outstanding that we're going to build. We're at about 40% of what we call milestone one, which is um, milestone one is is for our V1 release. That's going to be full parity with the Office UI fabric for Angular 1 directives. So we've got about 40% done there. We've got 12 directives that are in there uh, right now. Um, a lot of really cool stuff is in there. And, and the, the, I think the coolest thing about this project, though, is that this project is 100% community driven, and it's. I, I personally only knew one other person that was involved that that is actually working on it right now, um, and that's Waldeck. The other people that are involved in this are people that I've never met. Um, a lot of people I never I never seen their names before, but man, they just jumped right in. And I guess another one that we know that is even been on the podcast before, um, Eliostrof, uh jumped oh, in. Cool. He found a bug and and went through and fixed it right away. Um, but I mean, we got a handful of what is it? We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different people uh, that are contributing uh, twelve different directives right now, which is just I think that's it's way cool. Just jumping in and helping out as an open source project. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great to see this, and I think as more and more people get comfortable with GitHub and this notion of kind of what Git is, um, and this notion again of pull requests that maybe people aren't familiar with, it's definitely helped. To, we've we've certainly seen in the last few months. A lot more pull requests to the training content repo that you know you've worked a lot with, with AC, and I know Waldeck, you've put a lot of hands on labs in there as well. Um, it's definitely making it a lot easier for the community to contribute and give feedback back, even if it is just to submit issues and not maybe do the fix, but just to provide in a structured way an issue rather than ranting on Twitter or Facebook or sending me a personal email. They can just we can track it all there. Um, in, in one place, which is which is really cool. And you're going to see a little bit more of that coming up as well in a few of the other new things we have behind the walls at the minute that will be coming through and, and being publicly talked about too. One bit of feedback, guys, would be that your demo site does not seem to be linked from the homepage. And if it is, it's really well hidden. And I wasn't aware of it. And it really does explain exactly what directives are available. Am I missing something? Yeah, if you go to, if you go to NG Office UI Fabric, and you, if you go to the, the uh, live site, just uh, in Geoffrey UI Fabric, there is a link right below the big piece. That just says "See Live Demos." I, that's, I hope that, that. Oh no, no! If I if I found it on GitHub, if I found it on GitHub, I didn't know the website existed. Oh really? Yeah, I've just been scrolling, and I, I can happily do a pull request for you, but there doesn't seem to be a demo do section on the readme. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Good. Actually, you know what? That's really good feedback. Um, oh, look at that drink. Don't. So that you can drink to that one. But yeah, that's it's a good point. We we uh, we definitely should. We'll definitely have a uh, have a link to our demo site up there because that's really useful to see exactly what what 
what you're doing within, say, the UIF-link and UIF-icon and, and so forth? Yeah, all those demos. I mean, what we, the way we structure the project, um, it's, we're very transparent about it. We've spent a, we spent a lot of time. I, I'm primarily serving the role as kind of like the project manager where um, I guess the build manager, the branch manager, the project manager, whatever. Um, but I'm spending the majority of my time trying to make sure that we have like a really good consistent experience and, and everything is kind of, is very like consensus driven. So what's really nice about this is that I'm seeing people like Waldex jumping in and he's, when, when we, we have a, an issue for every single component that needs to be built or every single, um, uh, directive that needs to be built. And when someone wants to chime in and help, they go express interest on the issue they, we then tell them, you need to go in and write a spec. And that's essentially just how would a developer end up working with your directive? You don't just say, oh, it should do this, it should do this. It's like, no, no, show me the HTML. What should it look like? And then how you build it. We really don't have too many rules in place. We do, you know, we, you, we do require that you write it in TypeScript today. We do require, and I'll explain why uh, for that in just a few minutes. We do require that you follow our linting guide for TypeScript. We do require that you have good test coverage and your, all your tests pass. Um, so that that way, um, that the code is not, we're not, we don't want to force you to code in a certain way because we don't want to push anybody out of this. But I mean, if someone comes in and they contribute something and then they lose interest and go away and then there's a bug, we don't want to make it hard for someone to come in and figure out, well, how do I, how did they do this and how do we actually get this, you know, fixed or, or whatever. So for nine people that have come together, I'm, I don't know about you, Walt, like I'm pretty impressed with how consistent the directors are implemented across nine different people without, having much of a code reviewer, having any fixes we've had to address. Definitely, definitely. So I guess that initially we had like two or three in the repo, and then there was some, that was probably the very start, right? We had some talks about like, so we want to go left or right. But other than that, when we initially decided upon standard and naming, it all went straight. It was all the same, consistent, and just um, there are a few minor tweaks, but other than that, that's really consistent. That's it's, and it's great to see that for everyone new who jumps to help, they it's clear for um, uh, for them how to spec their work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So they can just they can really immediately uh, immediately start working. Right. Yeah, I can see there the issue twenty seven Wardak, which was created by you, Andrew, and I guess that's just you putting feature requests in for each component that exists in Fabric. Yeah. And Steam Molberg kind of went, you know, like, hi AC, I would like to take a shot at this one, and so you know, four days later, he's put together. Um, a spec there of what UIF-org chart would look like. And then, you know, Wardek and yourself have both kind of put in feedback on what that, whether you think that's correct or not. And right. um, he's then gone away and started to put that stuff together. So it's really neat that the, the engagement's there in the community. If you do want to get involved, you're getting that feedback before you go away and build it and put a pull request in, which is similar to what we've been doing in Generator-Office as well. Right. Um, but it's also very clear on what there's left to do. So it's almost like um, a balance list of these are the things that we need done um, and you've kind of marked those by help wanted as a tag on the issues board there yeah um, so people can go and pick those things up and you can see that progress as well as so I can see org chart and a nav bar or works work, work in progress and absolutely the dialogue and the date picker and well there's a lot of work in progress right now that's awesome yeah yeah we've got um, the the way it's set up is that yeah if you go to the issues list you'll find a bunch of open issues we have 17 open issues for milestone one um, and of those 17 uh, you'll see there's a there's a dark green tag that says help wanted that's if someone that's if nobody's claimed it and so it's kind of up for grabs if you want to do it 
then express interest. If you want to have a chat about it, we've got a Slack team that you can go, that you can jump in, um, ask questions about. You can see, you know, what do you need done, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then once that's, you know, once you're kind of good to go and you've kind of expressed interest and you, you know, say you're, you're ready to start with it, then we change the assignment. We assign it to you. We add you as a team member and we change the tag from help wanted to work in progress. And then it's just up to you to start working on it. We do have a, a bunch, you know, unit tests. We do maintain a, a pretty strict requirement for good code quality um, in terms of the unit test, making sure there's good coverage for it. The naming conventions, we tr- we've, we have had, I mean, as, as you would expect, we've only had two releases. We are going to be introducing a few breaking changes based on some things that we just didn't anticipate that we're starting to run into. Um, uh, we're, we actually ran into one over the weekend uh, that it looks like we've got a, a decision that we have to make. And this is a, it's kind of an interesting point here is that we've taken, we've taken the point that we will take no dependencies on this library except for the Office UI Fabric CSS. So that means that we're taking no dependency on jQuery. Now, jQuery, um, the way, as we explained earlier, the Office UI Fabric has plugins that they've done as jQuery plugins to add some interactivity with some of these direct, with some of these controls that, that Microsoft has shipped in the Fabric. So what we're doing is we're actually rewriting all that JavaScript that you guys have, and we're doing it as just plain old vanilla Angular JavaScript so that no one has to use jQuery to pull this stuff in. Now, there's, there's one component that is going to be a pain in our butt that we're going to have to have an exception for, but... It's the pick. It's the the date picker because that the way that was done is that actually takes a strong dependency on a specific JavaScript library that's a jQuery plugin. So that's one that we're right. gonna, we're not going to be able to deal with. But this way that that people know that if you don't want to use jQuery, you don't have to use jQuery. jQuery and Angular together. I mean, you kind of make an argument of why would you do that. So we're going to kind of take a step back and say, yep, we're not going to introduce any other external dependencies because we don't want to cause any trouble for us down the road. Um, so. Keeping it nice and clean. And Mordek, in terms of the table one that you've been working on, that's in progress. Uh-huh. Is the is the intent that, as well as like kind of being able to build those directives with you know the HTML side of the house, I could easily then go well. But maybe it makes more sense for a component like the org chart. The org chart is basically built from me calling the Azure directory graph endpoints users and groups on Microsoft Graph. Are you going to, is it the notion of what we're doing here as a, well, I can call the graph and it does all the magic binding in the background, or is is it more a same stance as what the UI fabric is, which is just a, the UI and you still have to do all the plumbing? No, so I guess the, the, the idea is to make it as easy as we can for developers to use it. So with that, we... We want you as a dev to focus on your data and your app and not to worry about the interactive part of the component, right? So whether you want to use the org chart table, whatever, just to be able to get the data to bind them the way you would do in Angular. And other than that, you're done. And then basically, if you want, for example, in a table, the stuff that I'm working on now is the ability for you to select rows, right? So the way that that would work is that you would get data, show them in table, and then eventually you would like to get the list of selected rows, right? So that's what you want to do. You, you don't want to do anything else than, than, than that. And I guess that, correct me if I'm wrong, AC, a, a uh, that's the 
target that we uh, have. Yeah, that's the, that's one of the big differences from just using. This is one of the value adds that we have over what the Office UI Fabric does. Because, like Waldeck said, you know, the, the Office UI Fabric is just CSS. I mean, granted, there's some JavaScript, but it, it, it there's some JavaScript for helping you like show the selection of a row, but it doesn't do anything else. It just changes the CSS around. The the thing that 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 we're trying to do is we're trying to add real functionality to this so that if if you select a row, we can bubble an event up. We can we can broadcast a, an event that someone can trap inside of their inside of their um, Angular application to say, hey, look, something was actually selected. Here's a, an item that was selected, or a row, a, 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 an object that was selected in this table. Um, or like Waltec has also done stuff recently where the current version of the table that's um, that's published in version 0.2 has the ability to where you can say certain columns can be re, can be sorted. So without the developer having to write any code, we take advantage of saying, hey, look, if you just take a collection of items, you give them to this directive that that Waldeck has built, you tell it what the t- what the columns are, and you tell them which ones can be sortable, then Waldeck set it up to where you've even got the little up and down arrows where you can click on it, and it would sort the different the table based on the column that you picked to sort. So we're giving you some functionality inside of these different components that you would expect out of building an application inside of Angular. And we're doing all that without any, without any jQuery, too. And so... In terms of well, a few questions, if they want to get it running, you're saying that they can use NPM, Bower, or NuGet to pull that down. If they're using Angular 1, they're fine, but this is not for Angular 2, right? Uh, yeah, so today, this is, right now what we're building is we're building the, the, the library is, is targeted to Angular 1.4. Our minimum requirement that we're looking at right now is 1.4.8, which is the current production version of Angular. Um, we're also basing it on the latest version of the Office UI Fabric, which is really 1.2, technically 1.2.1, but that just includes a couple a couple fixes. So we're targeting Angular 1, and the reason for that is because the majority of the people that are out there are still building Angular 1 applications. Um, Angular 2 just went beta in the last month, and it is a significant jump to go from Angular 1 to Angular 2 uh, for various reasons. I heard you and uh, Richard talking about it recently, Jeremy, about um, Angular 2, and we can chat about that if you like, but we're going to focus primarily on getting feature complete with Angular 1, and then we're going to move to Angular 2. Now, what we've done, though, in doing this is we think that life should be should be better when we or should be good when we go to Angular 2, which is our a complete, a full intention here. Um, the reason why is because we've actually made a couple of decisions inside of this library that are going to make it easier. So we've modeled all of this, all of the decisions that we've made. We've always kind of when we've kind of reached a weird kind of decision point that we can't really agree on, we always fall back and say, what do the material guys do? What do the Angular material guys do? We want to build this the way they built it because they figured out a really good roadmap. Yeah. So we're doing the same thing they did. We are uh, making sure that this is going to be, uh, making sure that the stuff is going to work we're very seamless when we move to the next version because they were thinking about Angular 2 as well. Um, we also have done everything in TypeScript which Angular 2 is all done in TypeScript. We have also are using a certain um, style of development with TypeScript called external modules, and we're building everything as modules um, and exporting classes and stuff so that this way, this is how, how all the development's being done with Angular 2. Um, we're actually using a, a tool called Webpack to do all of our module loading. And for people who aren't familiar with Webpack, it's just a module loader that to kind of do a, a, a support module loading in the browsers that don't support modules today. So if you're familiar with Require.js, Webpack is like Require.js, but 
you don't have to do anything on your side. We've, we've done it all inside the library. So when you look at like the unminified version, you'll see like this weird header at the top that talks about Webpack and you'll see modules listed in, in a ordinal number from zero, one, two, three, four, all the way up. Um, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. We use Webpack to build it. It makes life a lot easier for us. Okay. And then in terms of contributing, what would be your recommendations there? Maybe wall deck, like if, if people wanted to see it what, and go, I want to help out with something here, how could they help out? So I guess that that depends a lot on your experience. I mean, if you have experience in that area, I would say uh, jump in a list. Um, every issue in a list includes a link that explains like what's the goal. And then also there's a link that shows a ranking of the most used directives or components, right? So we use that internally uh, in a way to get the most used directives first and then to move down for the list just to be sure that we have the most useful pieces first. Right, so so there'll there'll be a way, and and if you're not that experienced, there'll be um, I I think there are still still a few things uh, on the list left that are pretty easy, uh, right? So there'll be a good choice to do those first. And as AC said, we have a, a Slack um, channel, so there are a lot of folks there that are willing to help you to answer questions, <laughs> help you out. Um, to become the part of, part of a team. Yeah, I want to just I throw one thing on there too. I mean, if you, it, I'd, I'd echo everything that Waldek just said. But one thing I'll add too is that one thing that I find is that when you want to jump into a uh, a new project, it can be kind of daunting and say like, well, how am I supposed to build this? How is a developer supposed to get involved here? I know that as being involved with the the uh, Yeoman generator that we did for Office, uh, we ran into that a bunch of times, and so I I took some time out one evening, and we have an article that. You want to get up to speed and see how to do it? You don't have anything on your machine? Piece of cake. You go to our article called The Minimal Path to Awesome. So what you do is you go to this page. It shows you, hey, install TypeScript. Here's how you clone the repo. Here's how you build it. Here's how you run the test and see test passing. Here's how you look at things like um, how you can see the code coverage. Here's how you can go. Everything that you can do from, from start to finish. Oh, yeah, build the library. And now go over here, open this one file, and see now you got working demos based on the thing you just built. So in about 10 to 15 minutes, maybe probably even less, less than that, probably 5 to 10 minutes, we can get you from zero to awesome on building our library. So just go check out the library. You'll see right on the right on the page of this on the main page of the site, there's a dive right in and you'll see a minimal path to awesome doc. Or go check out the demos. Jeremy said before there was no link on the site. Well since we've been talking, there's now a link at the top of our repo that even points to our demo site where you can go check the stuff out. So how's that for being reactive? <laughs> I just submitted a pull request but clearly you beat me to it. <laughs> oh you submitted a pull request for it. You got to make sure there's an issue there, otherwise we're going to reject it. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We have to make sure all your tests pass first. So that's okay. <laughs> no, but hey, you know it's 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 cool about this because we've had some. We, it's I'm really impressed with how many people have already jumped in and been really instrumental in helping this. Um, you asked Waldeck like where has he used this in other projects? I know that there's a couple of companies that are using this in um, their projects. And they're actually, they have some of their employees are jumping in and helping and contribute this. So I'm just, I just want to, I'd be doing an injustice if we didn't mention the other guys that are involved in this. Um, so and I'm, apologies to you guys. I know I was on the Adventures in Angular podcast and I threw your names out there and I apologize if I mess up any names here, but. Oh, they used to it on this show. I, <laughs> uh, Jerry, Jerry Sospec, um, Jigar Gandhi, obviously Waldeck, uh, John Mueller, Ronald, uh, Ronald Oldengram, 
um, Sergiev, Ilios Truf, and Thomas White. I mean, all these guys have gone through and contributed at least one directive. Some of them have done more. Some have even done additional work around a lot of this stuff, like building uh, live debugging. So if you want to go like do like TDD style development, where every time you change a file, it just you see the file get updated, you see everything get rebuilt and revetted, and all the test run stuff in the background. Um, we just added that this past weekend. So really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. We're trying right now to get this library up into a CDN. The pull request has been submitted. Uh, it's a bit daunting because the we're using some an open source um, CDN called CDNJS, and it's to work with it. You're actually working with a 13 gig repo, so even running Git status on your machine takes about 45 seconds to run. I've learned a lot about Git this morning, where you can actually do sparse checkouts and sparse um, clones. So yeah. I've got it down to 600 megs, but it still takes about 30 seconds to get stuff done. So <laughs> that's intense. Yeah. Well, look, I really appreciate everybody that's involved in this project. Um, get, kind of continue con- contributing to this, and um, I think it's going to do the Angular community a world of good. It's a uh, it's a great way to show like how the community is working closely with our engineering teams that are working on Fabric. So. It's um, it's a good thing. Is there anything else you want to talk about, um, AC? Like, I know we've touched on this being Angular 1. Is this something from a project perspective that you see being Angular 2 in the future as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that I heard you and Richard talk about this a couple of weeks ago about, you know, going from Angular 1 to Angular 2 and what's the difference here. Um, first of all, as far as the NG Office UI Fabric, I definitely think that we will be going to Angular 2. Um, I can almost commit to that because I need it for a project. <laughs> so I'm absolutely gonna I'm absolutely gonna do that. So aside from using the Office UI fabric or for the NG Office UI fabric and, and actually implementing it for Angular 2, um, I just want to touch on one thing, people looking at potentially, you know, going from Angular 1 to Angular 2, what's the deal here? Um, I, I've spent a little bit of time with Angular 2. I will tell you, I honest to God, I think it is a much easier thing to get your arms around than Angular 1. If you've never spent anything with um, any time with Angular, Angular 2 is going to be much easier to learn because the surface area is much smaller. They've, you hear these concepts called directives. They've gone down from uh, well over half the amount of directives that are already out there. One thing, though, that I will tell you that I, I do like about this is that, or that is a, l- a little daunting, is that one of the things that the Angular 2 team has done is they've taken advantage of all the greatest technologies that are out there today to make our lives easier in building web applications. So they're using the latest and greatest stuff. So for example, we're using TypeScript, we're using um, decorators and annotations on classes, and we're using Webpack and module loaders and all that stuff. The challenge that you have with this is that there's a lot of supporting technologies to Angular 2 that are out there today that can be hard to get your arms around, okay? So Here's the thing. When you when you want to put your arms around this, you have a lot of stuff that you kind of have to get into. And you do have to learn. If you haven't spent any time with TypeScript, you have to learn about TypeScript. If you haven't spent any time with Webpack, you're going to have to learn a little bit of stuff about Webpack and module loaders or JSPM. What I would recommend that you do is don't get, don't stop and try and figure out all the different options. If you go to the Angular site, angular.io, Go look at their tutorials and just dive in and start working. And go, they have some good opinionated stuff that's like, you know what? You're going to build an app this way. You can look at it later and figure out, I don't want to use Webpack. I want to use JSPM or I want to use a different module loader. That's fine, right? But just dive in and start working with it a little bit. I like Angular 2 a lot more than I like Angular 1 today. It is very intimidating to get into. 
but it does make life a lot, it does make life a little challenging because you have to learn these other supporting technologies. But frankly, all of these other supporting technologies that are out there, they're going to make you a better web developer because it's all stuff that that the web where the web is going. Some people look at that and say this is annoying because if you go in that direction, I've got so much more stuff to learn, and you're making it harder to dive in. Angular is going to be around for a while. Would you rather than build stuff today based on one, two, or three-year-old technology that in three years is going to be much older by then? Or do you want to look at stuff that is today is probably much more stable that we can rely on and have that be the path of going forward and stuff is much more current a couple of years down the road? I, I like the direction they're going with it. I get where the feedback is coming from. But I think if you give it a chance, it's not that bad. And they've done a tremendous job on the Angular.io site helping people get up to speed on it. I'll climb off my soapbox now. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good. That's useful. I think at some point we're going to have to grab um, Bradley back on to talk about Angular 2 and Angular 1 and where it is. And um, he did a really good candid job um, last year with us at the um, Angular conference in London. And it'd be good to get him back on the show to talk a little bit more in detail too. But that's a good summary for sure uh, on that side of things. So thanks for that, AC. Sure. Look, well, we'll wrap up. We're running out of um, time. And uh, I think it's been a really useful show. I'm hoping that this brings even more and more attention to, uh, from an Angular development perspective, of people using your framework, and um, we can start seeing seeing that, and also contributors as well. There's definite visibility internally at Microsoft of who is contributing there, and um, we really, really, really appreciate all your efforts. And um, it's great to see this working relationship between the community and, and us internally on on getting office as, as big as we can, as successful as we can with all of these different bits of add-ons and frameworks that make web developers' lives easier. So a big thank you to you guys for, for all your help on that. Absolutely, man. Yeah, you're welcome. So um, enjoy the rest of your weeks, guys. I'm AC, you're a little bit in front of me on time. I'm um, going to run into the office now. And Waldet, you're, it looks like it's pretty dark there, so you're ready for bed in a bit. Yes, 7 p.m. Okay, not quite yet. Your bedtime's 7.30, right? Yes. <laughs> All right, thanks very much, guys, and we'll definitely see you on the show soon. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Sure. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. Get coding.